Let's go ahead and pray for the word. Father in heaven, we come before you. We also thank you that we can be here today, Lord, and that we have your precious word. Father in heaven, we want to hear from Jesus today. We want to hear from you in the Holy Spirit. I don't want them to hear from me. I want them to hear from you, Lord. So may my words be few and your words be many. May these words jump off the page, but may they also change lives, Lord. May people who come here today, may they not leave the same as they came, but leaving, Father, closer to you and your son, Jesus Christ, through your word, Lord. So bless your word today as we read, Father. The mighty story of a man who was without compromise and devoted his life to you, and Lord, was not going to waver in Daniel. May we have that same, Father, love for you, that same desire, and that same devotion. So speak to us today. Today. May today be the day of salvation for some, Father, who may have come here or some on the live stream. And we pray this in Lord Jesus Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. amen. <clears throat> I have a little bit of a <clears throat> bug in my throat, so I'll go ahead and take a drink. So today we're in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 through 21. Last week on Sunday, uh, we covered Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. So I'm going to do a quick recap of what we kind of looked at last week. Uh, we looked at the secular perspective. Nebuchadnezzar seizes Jerusalem. Remember, he goes in there in his first battle. He had three battles in 605 BC, and this is when he takes Daniel captive. And he pretty much ransacks uh, you know, the kingdom of Judah and uh, Jerusalem. The theological perspective, though, is not from a man's point of view, is that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, if you remember, over and Judah over into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. We saw God's discipline because Jehoiakim was an evil king and had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, we find this, that Jehoiakim did evil in 2 Chronicles 36.5. I'll read that to you. Jehoiakim did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. So it says it there in the Bible. It's very clear. God had Jeremiah write a warning to Jehoiakim in a scroll, if you remember. And it told him, hey, basically the, the nation of Israel was, was into idolatry and they were no longer being obedient to God. And he tells Jehoiakim, tell the people to repent and you need to repent, and you need to turn from your evil ways and turn back to me. And Jehoiakim throws that scroll into the fire, and then God has Jeremiah write another scroll and gives him a second warning as well. The second scroll says everything the first scroll said, if you remember, but adding to it, Jehoiakim, that he would be cast out of Jerusalem. <clears throat> he will never have a descendant sit on the throne of David. <clears throat> God would bring all the punishment that he had stated in the first scroll to his family, his servants, the people of Judah, because they did not heed the Lord's warning. Guys, we should always heed the Lord's warning the first time God asks us to do something, right? In obedience, amen? Um, so there was a, a, a kid at Home Depot not too long ago. This was about two, three, maybe about three or four months ago. Um, and God told me to go talk to him and invite him to church. He was just a worker at Home Depot. And I was buying some stuff in the barbecue section. And I didn't listen. I, I, I don't know what it was. I was like, Lord, you know what? I'm, I'm, maybe I was in a hurry. And I was like, I just want to go home. So I, I went home. And I didn't talk to him. And for three or four days, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. God kept telling me, go back there and invite him to church. Oh, I <laughs> Thank you. Hey, the servant, eh? Right there. We got servants in this church. Amen. Thank you. Um, so I went back. I went back to Home Depot. And um, I told him, hey, you know what? God loves you. I told him God wanted me to come back here and talk specifically to you and invite you to church. I said, what do you believe? And then he says to me, well, I believe in love. I said, great, because our God is the God of love. Amen. And I shared with him and I invited him to church. But guys, I should have listened the first time. Amen. Should we listen the first time when God asks us to do something? So if you get that opportunity, just listen the first time to the Holy Spirit, because I hope it convicts you and you have to go back like I did. Amen. So God is patient and merciful with Jehoiakim by even writing him that second scroll. Amen. He gave him an opportunity, but he did not turn away from his wicked ways. Guys, God will not be mocked. It says this in Galatians. 6, 7, for those of you who take notes, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Okay, guys, so with Jehoiakim, he wasn't going to be mocked. He's like, hey, look, I warned you, and now this is what happened. He delivers him into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> we saw that throughout the, throughout the Bible last week that God's will is intertwined with man's will. If you remember, we looked at God's perfect will, sovereign will, and we looked at God's permissive will. God's perfect will was for King David to be king. God's permissive will is when the people wanted Saul to be king and he allowed it. God's perfect will was the innocence of man in Adam and Eve in communion with God, perfect communion. But God's permissive will was the fall of man, a broken communion with God that he allowed to, have, that he allowed to happen. God's perfect will is salvation for men, right? Amen. But God's permissive will allows us to bring condemnation upon ourselves, right? In that separation like Adam and Eve did. So Jehoiakim's free will brought him into the opposition of God. But God's sovereign will is what disciplined him. 
Guys, we must know God's perfect will for our lives, but then the, the bigger part is, after we know it, we have to do it, amen? We have to go and do it. So we saw Babylon represents the world last week, the city of man, evil and separation for God, while Jerusalem represented what? It represented the righteous and the city of God and to be set apart for God's purpose. So it's not separating us from God, it's actually being setting us apart when, we've, when we're walking in righteousness for God's purpose, amen? So Nebuchadnezzar... <coughs> would crush Judah, <clears throat> taking Jerusalem, and he takes captive the best that Israel had to offer, the best that the tribe of Judah had to offer, which was these young Jewish boys, including Daniel. The young men would be taught, if you remember, a new language to scribe, taught science, astrology, mythology, social study, arts, mathematics, a course in religion, and of course, pagan worship at the university, as I call it, the University of Babylon for three years. The youth and young people's gifts need to be used, we learn, for the Lord's purpose, or the world will try to repurpose those gifts and talents, amen? And he'll try to do the same for you as well. So guys, we must use our gifts for the Lord, and that's what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do. I'll take everything that they have, the best that Israel has to offer, and repurpose it for Babylon's purpose. <clears throat> Adults, again, we must use our gifts as well as the youth. We saw that Babylon was a majestic, and in a way, majestic. it wasn't majestic, but it looked majestic from man's point of view, a powerful city, and uh, by the historian Herodotus, he wrote this, if you remember we looked at. Babylon was 14 miles on each side. Outside, there were um, the walls were 56 feet long, 300 feet high, 25 feet thick, and another wall was behind the first wall that was 75 feet uh, behind it, and it was 35 feet in the ground. So this was like a fortress. It was very um, <clears throat> solid, you could say. There were 25 towers that were 450 feet high. We saw there were 53 pagan temples and 180 pagan altars, a golden image of Baal and the golden table. Each one of these idols weighed uh, 50,000 pounds of solid gold, if you can imagine that. Nebuchadnezzar's palace was one of the most magnificent buildings ever erected on earth in the ancient world, so people recognized that. It was an impressive place for these young men to be educated in and to be offered what the king had to offer them in the delicacies and the drinking and being by his side. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar offers them meat, <clears throat> excuse me, if you remember, wine that he would eat and drink, and it would have been an honor to eat what the king drank and ate at that time. It's not, I said it's not like America where we can just go to Costco and we can buy 18 pounds of steak at five, not 49 a pound, right? At that time, if you were poor, you didn't eat like that. And if you were rich, that's how you lived. So it could be enticing. And basically, though, what the king is saying, what we looked at, remember, last week was, you don't have to worry, young men. We'll take care of you. The government will take care of you. Babylon will take care of you. I, the king, will take care of you. You don't have to depend on your king anymore. <clears throat> You know what it reminds me of in a way? When I was thinking about the mafia, right? When you look at like old mafia movies or documentaries, right? What did the mafia always do with the young kids that would come by, right? Where they would eat in their restaurants. They'd give them bread or they'd give them wine or they'd give them something. And then they would, uh... oh, <laughs> man, this church is full of servants. I have my own, my own water, a water on the floor. And now I got a cup of water. Does anyone want to be baptized? <laughs> <clears throat> thank you guys. No, thank you for your heart. It's the intention of the heart, right? Amen. So it reminds me of like the mafia, right? They as well would indoctrinate these kids at a young age. They flash their money, their suits. Uh, here, take this home to your mom and don't worry, we'll take care of you. And then how does that life end? How does that sinful life always end? In death, right? And that's how when we live a life of sin, it ends in death. And that's what reminds me of the king off, uh, so the king gives them all this stuff. In Ephesians, we read this about drinking wine. Don't be drunk with wine. Because I believe the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was also trying to skew their judgment, right? Get them, I mean, we know, if you guys remember, David did that to Uriah. Remember? When he had sinned, he's like, I'll cover it up. I'll get him really drunk. So I believe Nebuchadnezzar had that in mind in a way. So guys, don't be drunk with wine, Ephesians says this. That will ruin your life. Right, guys? So if you have an issue with it right now, turn away from it. It's just going to lead to a life of ruin. That life of, of drugs and alcohol leads to a life of ruin. <clears throat> so we saw that last week. Nebuchadnezzar also last week wanted to completely change their identity. Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember, takes all of their names from them. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Uh, the king removed their names and gave them, if you remember, pagan names. 
So constantly they would be reminded where they were in a foreign land that they did not belong. And a lot of times for us guys, we have to be reminded where we're at, we are right now, right? This is not where we belong. And we're headed towards heaven. Right now we're in a foreign land. It must have been heartbreaking that name connect, the names that, that they had been given at birth that connected them to God, he changed their names representing pagan gods in opposition to the God that they were connected with. Amen? So let's go to the outline if you have one in front of you. Today we'll be seeing uh, point number one. The, uh, by the way, I titled this message, I'll start with that. Are you living a Christ-purpose life? Point number one. The authenticity of the Bible can be trusted through extra-biblical writings and archaeological findings. And it can be trusted by living the words of God and experiencing his promises coming true. We must determine in our heart what we are willing to commit to God when he calls on us. We can see what a man has purposed in his heart when he, pro- when he proclaims God not just in the church where it is comfortable, but in Babylon, the world, where the enemies of God where he is uncomfortable, before the enemy is a God where he is uncomfortable. Point number two, we'll see. You receive favor from others when you do right by others. And God gives us favor from others when we do right by God. Are we spiritually healthy enough to trust God with everything we have physically in this world? We'll also see we will be tested and examined by men, but I'm more concerned about being examined by God. As God examines our testing, does he see worry, anxiety, stress, uncertainty, and laboring in our own power? Or does God see the trust in him which produces peace in our trials? Point number three, we must be willing to be afflicted with the righteous rather than compromise with the wicked. Everything in our lives is 70 times seven times better, 70 times seven times better with Christ than without him. Amen? So point number one, the authenticity of the Bible can be trusted through extra-biblical writings and archaeological findings, and it can be trusted by the living words of God in our life experiences, and we see his promises come true. We must determine in our heart we are will- what we are willing to commit to God when he calls on us, and we can see what a man has purposed in his heart when he'll proclaim God not only in the church where it's safe, but in Babylon out there in the world before the enemies of God where it is uncomfortable. So let's read, uh, verses, let's read verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So the authenticity of the Bible, I wanted to start with that. In verse 8, Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel his portion of the king's delicacies. So a captive at that time would have a portion, and also people who live within the city who were also Babylonians, everyone had a portion of what they'd eat, but specifically uh, the captives. So looking at extra-biblical archaeology for the authenticity of the Bible, Jehoiakim had a son. His name was Jeconiah, Jeconiah. Now, Jeconiah was the king of Judah when his father, Jehoiakim, was removed from the throne by Nebuchadnezzar. In 597 BC, Jeconiah would also be removed from the throne and exiled. Now listen, like Daniel, he was exiled to Babylon with his family. Now, records of Jeconiah's existence have been found in Iraq. The records are, are known. They're big stone tablets. And is writing, and they're known as Jehoiachim's ration tablets. Jehoiachim was another name for Jeconiah. The ration tablets were excavated in Babylon and have been dated to about 592 BC. Now, remember, Daniel's taken into captivity in 605, so it's right around the same time. Written in Suniform, which is an ancient system of writing in Persia, they mention Jeconiah and his five sons as recipients of food rations in Babylon as captive. So here we have, again, another example. Here's the king's portions, which he's giving to Daniel. And guys, history and archaeological finds show that these people really existed and show that this was the method that the king would use when he was giving out the rations and the portions. The Bible, guys, is not a history book. It is primarily a guide, right, to faith in God. It contains, though, many literary, literary genres which are used to teach about the relationship between God and us. And mankind. So that's what it primarily is, to lead us to faith in our relationship with God. But everything it says about history is true. And that's why we can trust it. Amen. 
So in verse 8, if you look at it, it starts off in, in a contrast. So everything that's happened, right, it says, but, if you look at that verse, but, through Dan, though Daniel had been taken into captivity, Nebuchadnezzar took everything from Daniel. Uh, Jerusalem's gone. His parents are gone. Maybe even dead because it was a battle. It was a war where he seized, seized the, city, the city. His friends are gone. Relatives are gone. The temple's gone. His ability to sacrifice to God, guys, is gone. The festivals of celebration to his, to his God and the Lord are gone. And now he's being offered a new comfortable life with the king in Babylon. So think about it. Put yourself in that situation. Everything you know here, if everything tomorrow was taken from you, just gone. <clears throat> now you're in a new foreign place, but you see the ability, maybe I can live here and actually have somewhat of a decent life, right? Anyone would have considered assimilating to these new circumstances and living a comfortable life in Babylon. But there's that word, but, right? And what but means in the Bible, those of you who um, do inductive Bible study and were taught as pastors, but means what? But means in contrast to what was said before. But, Daniel, already purposed in his heart, it says there, not to defile himself. What it means is not to conform, not to compromise, not to be comfortable in this new world, but to be uncomfortable for God. And not to sin. Amen? So when did Daniel purpose... Let me ask you this. When did Daniel purpose in his heart not to defile himself? To give you a time frame of Daniel be taken into captivity, I believe we have to consider this. Daniel's journey to Babylon, if we look at Ezra's Aaliyah, in, in Jewish culture they call it the Aaliyah, which means the ascent. Um, so that would have been... The descent would have been be taken into captivity, going to Babylon in captivity. The ascent would have become coming back... Um, when the, then the king of uh, uh, Persia allowed them to go back to Jerusalem. So Ezra's Aaliyah ascent returned to Zion. Persia conquers Babylon, and Cyrus the Great allows the Jews to return to Jerusalem. Ezra would make that journey. And we read this in the book of Ezra. Those who take notes again, Ezra 7, 8 through 9, says this, And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king, on the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of God upon him. So when we look at this time frame, right, when he's going, when he's coming, when he's arriving in Jerusalem, based on Ezra's return from exile time frame, Daniel doing the opposite, right? He's going from Jerusalem to Babylon. And would have traveled, he would have traveled 900 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon in exile, it would, and it was on foot, so it would have taken him about four months to travel that distance on foot. So I believe Daniel, during this travel, he's already thinking about what Babylon's going to be like and the, what the Babylonians were going to do to him. He had four months on this travel on foot, basically as a slave, right? So picture yourself on this journey. Do I embrace this new culture which I'm headed to? Do I try and escape before I even get there and find my way back to Jerusalem, which is in shambles, right? And everything's gone. Do I submit to the authority of the Babylonians? Do I worship their gods in order to survive? Or do I stand for my God and die, right? He's already thinking about that as he's making this journey. But I believe it started as a boy. I believe it started long before this journey where Daniel had purposed in his heart. The purpose in his heart started when he was a young boy, preparing his heart through prayer in Jerusalem, from the word of God and meditation on God, his parents would have raised him to be a God-fearing boy. Are we raising our children to be God-fearing young men, God-fearing young women? I exhort you to do that, right? Prepare them now for what that life holds ahead of them, right? All the people who are going to try to do what Nebuchadnezzar did and repurpose their lives for their purpose, amen? Raise them up in the way they should go. One of the most well-known scriptures, as you guys all know, on purposing in your heart is... Um, so let each one give, an, give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I, I believe I said that during the prayer for our offering. It's talking about your offering to God. Purpose. This word in Hebrew is sum. It means this purpose. This word means to appoint, to commit, to determine, and to impute something. Okay? To commit, to determine Meaning we don't have to go back and forth deciding like when we come to church, right? What have we purposed in our heart, heart prior to give to God in the agape box, right? We don't just get to church and well, what am I going to give today? What, what should I give again? Well, you know, I got a lot of bills. Well, I got a, a less paycheck. Well, guys, come already purposed in your heart to give, amen, what you're going to commit to God. 
I put forward in our relationship with God, we should commit, determine in our hearts what we're already going to offer to God before we come into his presence and before he calls on us. So guys, commit when we're going to read his word. These are things we should commit. Commit. I'm going to read his word. Maybe you're going to do it in the morning. Maybe you're going to do it in the midday. Maybe you're going to do it at night. But commit to doing it. Commit our prayer time. You would commit prayer time. You would say, hey, when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to pray to God first. That's what the Jews would do. The first thing they would do before they would do anything else is they would pray to God. Are we going to commit to leading others to, to God's presence? Devotional time with our family, our wives, single moms, with your children. Are you going to commit to reading them the Bible or doing some kind of devotional Commit going to church consistently without wavering. Already predetermined and commit to God that I'm going to be there on Sunday morning. I'm going to be there midweek, right? Not maybe, hey, Saturday night comes and, hey, the football game's on tomorrow and it's the playoffs, which is on right now and I'm glad you're all here, (laughs) right? So maybe I won't go to church. No, commit. I've already committed at the beginning of the year. I'm going to consistently go on Sunday no matter what's going on in my life. Amen? Commit to getting to church on time, guys. I know we all struggle with that. But maybe it's time we go, you know what? I'm going to commit to be there to you, Lord, right? Predetermined to be there at that time. Committing to serving at church in one of the ministries. Whatever ministry God is calling you to, there's so many parts and we're one body, but it can't get done, right? I, Pastor Dave can't do it all. We, none, of us, none of you can do it all, right? So guys, let's commit to God. So I just sent a flock note out. Uh, I believe it was last night for serving opportunities. I exhort you to sign up. Um, and guys, don't do it for me, right? Don't do it because I sent out the flock note because I'm not the one asking, right? Who's asking for servants? God, Jesus, right? Jesus is seeking a faithful servants. It actually says that on the website, on the, on the serving page, I put there, Jesus is seeking faithful servants. It's not me. It's not Pastor Dave. It's Jesus, amen? So Daniel had made this purpose in his heart from a young boy to make his life a living sacrifice to God and for God. Also, it means that God will see the true purpose of a man's heart when we give, not expecting something in return, right? Not expecting anything back from God. It is because your heart loves God. You truly want to be used for his glory, right? When we pre-purpose it in our heart. Daniel had been doing what pleased God while in Jerusalem since he was a young boy. But guys, it's easier to do what pleases God when there's no risk, when it's applauded and it's accepted and it's saved amongst fellow believers to worship God and to pray to God. And that's what Daniel did in Jerusalem. But we can see what a man's truly purposed in his heart when he'll proclaim God when he's anywhere. Uh, He will worship God anywhere. He will please God among those who do not accept it and it is not safe and it is not to his benefit. And that's what Daniel was doing here in Babylon when, he, when he's about to tell this king, I, I don't want the meat. In Luke uh, 12, 8 through 9, we read this. Also, this uh, also I say to you, uh, Jesus said this, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the son of man, will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So we will see a purpose of a man's heart quickly when it's tested, amen? And when it's tested, when they're in, op- in a place that's in opposition to God. So I'm a, I, many of you know I own my own business. And um, so I attend these, uh, I'm a member of a networking group. It's called BNI. Basically, 20, about, we, in our group, we have about 20 different business owners who meet every uh, Friday morning at 7.30 a.m., and it's basically to give each other referrals. Well, one of the things that they do is you give presentations during these, this business networking group. And when you give a presentation, they have what they call a bio sheet. And they read, you know, about you, things that the group may not know about you. If you're married, if you have kids, pets, things like that. But one of the things at the end of the bio sheet is two questions. One of them is this. It says, what's your burning desire? Your burning desire is to what? Your burning desire is to what? Now I write on my, and someone else will read this before the other 20 to 30 business owners as they introduce you to come up and speak. I wrote in that question to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them what Jesus has commanded me. Okay, that's the great commission. That's my burning desire. And I'm, that is my burning desire. And if you want to know your calling, that's what you're called to do. Everyone has a calling, but that is one everyone is called to do. Amen. You guys awake? You with me? Amen. The second question is this. 
My key to success is, and I wrote to love, obey, honor my Lord Jesus Christ and to love people. Okay, I'm going to proclaim the name of God everywhere I go. Whether people turn away from, and these are business owners, right? We're supposed to refer business. There might be some people, right, that would not fall upon favorable ears, and maybe they won't give me any business, but I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that because God will provide and God will guide. Amen? So <clears throat> the guy who gave my introduction before I did my presentation the first time I did it, and that was said to, and that group was 30 different people. He said to me, I've been in this networking group for 28 years, he said. We've had a lot of people who are faith people and people who are Christian come through here. I've never heard anyone and I've never read a bio sheet that proclaimed God like that. That actually disappointed me that he had said so many Christians have been a part of these groups and no one has said the name of Jesus. Right, guys? So we got to be proclaiming the name of Jesus. Got to be proclaiming God like Daniel's doing. In Romans 8.28, it says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called what? According to his purpose. We have to purpose his purpose in our heart. Amen. So Daniel was called for God's purpose. Purpose his heart to fulfill that purpose. He would confess God, not just in Jerusalem where it was comfortable, but in front of the enemies of God in Babylon where it was uncomfortable, even unto death. <clears throat> in verse 8, Daniel did also not, he says he didn't eat of the meat or drink of the wine the king offered. He says he did not want to defile himself by eating these meats. The meat, guys, just to cover why it would say, he would say that he didn't want to defile himself, is the meat most likely would have been sacrificed. This has gone on in pagan cultures. Dedicated or prayed over and worshipped to Babylonian pagan gods. The meat, or the meat might have still had its blood in it, right? The Jews were not supposed to eat meat that had its blood in it. Or it may have been of a two-hooved animal, which was unclean to eat at that time. Mosaic law forbade a Jew from eating certain meats. God's word said not to eat these meats. So the reason we don't exactly know, but these are some of the um, options or plausible circumstances as to why it might have been. It wasn't that Daniel couldn't eat meat, right? And could only eat vegetables. Wiersbe said this, <clears throat> when they had to choose between God's word and the king's food, they chose God's word, amen? When we have to choose between what the world wants, and what God wants us to do. What are we going to choose? We're going to choose what God wants us to do. Amen? Amen? You guys are, right? You're going to, yeah, okay. I didn't know if you were sure or not. I'm going to pray for you guys. So in Deuteronomy 8.3, it says this. So he humbled you, <clears throat> allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen. And that's what Daniel was more concerned with. It's like, I don't live by food and the king's food. I'm going to live by the word of God. And I'm going to choose the word of God over what man wants me to do. Daniel was not going to be a conformer. A trans he was going to be a transformer. According to Romans 12, 1 through 2, here's what Paul's saying. Conformers are people, people whose lives are influenced and changed by the pressures of the world around them. That's a conformer. But transformers, guys, are people who live lives that are controlled from the power within, from the Holy Spirit, and change the world around them. Amen? That's who we want to be. Transformers, not conformers. Daniel and his three friends were transformers. Instead of being changed, they did the changing. God used them and transformed the minds of their rulers to bring great glory to his name in a pagan land. Amen? We must transform people, places, and things around us in our lives, not the opposite. We can't let them change us. So, again... Point number one, the authenticity of the Bible can be trusted, extra biblical writings and archaeological findings through that, and it can be trusted by guys living the words of God and experiencing his promises coming true. I can't say more about that in my life. We must determine in our heart what we are willing to commit to God when he calls on us, and we can see that a man, what a man has purposed in his heart when he will proclaim God, not just in the church where it's comfortable, but in Babylon, out there in the world, before the enemies of God where it's uncomfortable. Point number two, you receive favor from others when you do right by others, and God gives us favor from others when we do right by God. Are we spiritually healthy enough to trust God with everything we have physically in this world? <clears throat> we will be tested and examined by men, but I'm more concerned about being examined by God. As God examines our testing, 
Does he see worry, anxiety, stress, uncertainty, and laboring in our own power? Or does God see trust in him, which produces peace in our trials? Verse 9, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. So the first thing we read there is that God had brought him into the favor. God had not left Daniel's side through this incredible trial. Proverbs 16, 7, we read this. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. If you remember, Joseph, right, is a good example of that. Joseph was sold into slavery to a high-ranking Egyptian, Potiphar. And Potiphar made Joseph, because he gained favor with Potiphar, the attendant of his house and saw over his, his affairs. And then the wife obviously tries to get Joseph to sin and seduce him. Joseph refuses and runs off. She tells Potiphar, and then Potiphar turns him in. And then he ends up in jail, right? But then while Joseph's in jail, what happens? He again earns the favor of the warden and then the warden puts him in charge of all the prisoners, right? And then he's teaching them and then eventually he does um, some um, interpretations of some dreams and then he ends up by Pharaoh's side, right? And then what happens by ending up by Pharaoh's side? God gave him favor and then he was the one who saved them from the famine that would bestow Egypt, right? God used Joseph and his love for him and then it benefited the people who had Joseph there, and it says that he blessed Potiphar's house too when Joseph was there before Potiphar, before what happened with the wife. Guys, we will be tested and examined. Or, or, so, lost my place there. So Psalm 512, we read this. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him and with a shield. So there's the favor of God. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3 through 4, we also read, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God. So we see God's favor when we're walking right by God. But see, this favor that Daniel experienced was not his own doing. And we know that because it says there, God had brought Daniel into the favor of this unit. So I was sitting here trying to research this and Look for verses and an application. And sometimes you look too hard and it's pretty simple, right? Cook, keep the cookies on the lower shelf. So to make it simple, why do people give other people favor? Why do you give someone favor, right? You receive favors from others because when we do the right thing, we receive favor from others when we just do the right thing. God gave Daniel favor because Daniel always did the right thing. He did right by God. Psalm 8411, we read this. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor. Actually, we just read that. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. From those who walk right, right? From those who walk righteous, guys. So it's simple. Do right by God and God will show you favor. And it doesn't mean Daniel was perfect, that he always did the right thing, right? David wasn't perfect, but he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he came in repentance. We will, last week we looked at this, but I'll just briefly describe it. Maybe those of you who weren't here. A eunuch in Hebrew is saris, occurring 45 times in the Old Testament, because we're reading the eunuch here is, is over Daniel. Wherever saris is used, the word refers to an important person, is not necessarily castrated. In Greek translation, we would see the word eunuchos, which means a chamberlain, the keeper of the bedchamber uh, for the king. So he would overlook the, the king's harem. Um, and that could be a castrated person or one who voluntarily abstains from marriage. I don't read into the silence of the Bible whether Daniel was castrated or not. I, I don't know. Um, but I wanted to briefly cover that word. So now let's read verses 10 through 14. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has pointed, appointed your food and drink. So for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. See, the chief of the eunuchs didn't fear God. He feared man. He feared the king. He feared Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, this is an evil and murderous king. In later chapters, we'll read, um, if you re he will threaten to chop them up if they can't even tell him what his dream means, and then chop them up if they can't interpret it. 
Um, and he tells Daniel this. And then also, he'll end up killing his own men. If you remember, when he, when he goes to sh- throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, he says, turn up the furnace so hot that these men will be, you know, die in the fire. And then it's, it's so hot, his own men end up burning up, if you remember. So this is a very murderous king. In fact, to kind of give you an eye, so yeah, he's scared of Nebuchadnezzar, right? He'd kill his own men. So Jeremiah said this of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar would take the king of Judah at a later time than we're reading right now, Zedekiah. Zedekiah was Joachim's brother. He would make Ze- Nebuchadnezzar would make Zedekiah watch as he killed his sons in front of Zedekiah. And then he would poke out Zedekiah's eyes so the last thing Zedekiah ever saw on earth was his children being murdered in front of him. That's this king, okay? And then he would bound Zedekiah in chains and take him off to Babylon where he would die in later years. Okay, this is an evil king. This is a guy who will just murder you like that. Yeah, he was scared of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel did not argue though, if we notice, right? He didn't respond in anger towards the eunuch or the steward. Daniel treated the chief eunuch with respect and did not decide to do evil against him. Daniel exhibited what, guys? Self-control, kindness, patience, gentleness, and obeyed the authority above him at this point. He chose to reason with him rather than to be in opposition to him. Daniel said in verse 12, if you look at it, please test your servants. Proverbs 16, 24 says this, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. And that's what Daniel used as he was negotiating. Proverbs 15, 1 says this, 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says this, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. That's what Daniel did. The anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. He reasoned with them and put it in God's hands. Daniel was open to being tested and then examined, guys, knowing that he would now put his trust completely in the Lord, right? That the Lord would keep him in better shape than the other young men who would eat of the king's meat and drink of their wine. And if he fails this test, Daniel then tells him the consequence. If I fail this test, and it do as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So most likely he's like, put me to death. I'm willing to die for God. <clears throat> he knows if they fail the test, they might die. Guys, we will be tested and examined by men. And isn't that true, Right? Don't people test us as Christians, right? They'll test us with with, um, lust, right? They'll say, oh, let's see if this guy's going to fall. Oh, you know what? Let's see if he'll join in us at the bar and go out with us and drink and everything. He says he's a Christian. Guys, they will test it. And then they'll look at us and they'll say, I don't see any difference from you and me. Only difference is you go to church, right? So the world will test us. They're examining us all the time. One time I had a neighbor years ago. He came to me and he said this to me. You know, you tell me a lot about Jesus and we disagree on a lot of issues. And you know, I don't agree with a lot of what you say, but I listen because Doug, I believe you're a real Christian. That's what he said to me, right? So what does that mean? I believe you're, he was examining me the whole time in our relationship, living next door to each other. The things I would do, the things that I would say, right? Do my actions line up with my words? So Daniel says, go ahead and test me and examine me. See, Daniel was so spiritually, spiritually healthy, he could completely trust God with his physical life, even unto death. He was so spiritually in tune with God, he's like, I'll leave it to God what happens to me. I'm not concerned. Guys, are we spiritually healthy enough to trust God with everything we have physically? Are we? Are we spiritually healthy enough to say, God, you'll take care of my job. I'm gonna proclaim your name, but you'll take care of my job. My retirement, Lord, my home, my wife, my kids, when I'm, God, you'll, when I'm gone, you'll take care of them. Our relatives, our friendships, our ministries. Or are we allowing compromise, trying to do it by our own power? Not trusting that God will bring, bring the right people into ministries, right? As you guys know, me and my wife lead the children's ministry. And we have for many years. And I'll never forget a time we lost about four teachers at once in children's ministry, including this amazing couple who loved the kids. They were just so amazing with kids. Me and my wife were actually maybe even going to ask them to take over the children's ministry. 
And then when we lost all these teachers, me and my wife served in the children's ministry seven to eight weeks in a row. And we weren't in church. Remember, I told you, you have to be in church, right? To be spiritually fed, to then have be spiritually healthy, to go lead others. And we thought about closing down uh, the children's ministry. We, we came really close to talking to Dave about, you know, shutting it down for a while till we could get servants because we were stressed. And, but we stopped being stressed. You know what we did? We stopped being stressed and we prayed to God for servants. And we said, Lord, please bring us servants, please. Do you think God knew our needs? Do you think he did? And guess what he did? He brought us servants, amen? They came. Now we have uh, many servants. When God, in fact, we have so many servants, I got three cups of water. <laughs> amen? So guys, when God examines all the testing he's done in our lives, right? He's done testing in your lives, hasn't he? Haven't you looked back and said, that was God testing me, right? He's testing us. So when he looks back at all the testing he's done in your life, what will he see? What does he see? Does he see fruit of worry, anxiety, stress, uncertainty, and laboring in your own power? Or will he see the fruit of trust in him to lead, to provide, which produces peace in our trials, right? Guys, that's what we're looking for, right? Don't we want peace in those trials? We might not know the reason why they're happening, but we want peace. So recently, I remember, and um, a couple of the youth kids can attest to this, uh, Dario and Drino were with us, the Agawas. We went to the beach, and it was on the holiday weekend, maybe uh, it was Labor Day, and it was swamped out here in Ventura. And I had to park five blocks away. And I pl- parked in a place where there was no signs. It said I could park there. And then I got a ticket. And that ticket was $130. Because it was a holiday weekend. So it was doubled. And I, and I, was, <laughs> I was mad. And we're driving home. And someone had blessed us in church um, out of the kindness of their heart and gave us money that I was going to put towards the men's retreat. I was like, oh, great. This will pay for a good portion of the men's retreat. What a blessing. Now I have this ticket. And I'm telling my wife, I'm like, God just gave us money and, you know, from someone in church who blessed us and I was going to use it to go to the men's retreat. And now I got to use it to pay this ticket. And my wife says to me, and I'm, and I'm all aggravated. And the youth kids and my kids are, are in, in the car. <clears throat> Maybe it was just it was just those two. I need to have my kids with me. And anyways, and so they're listening to this. And my wife says to me in her wisdom, she goes, "Well, maybe that's what the money was for, honey, to pay for the ticket that God knew you would get." <laughs> and I said, "Maybe it was, but oh man, really?" And I'm complaining like half half the way home. But I filled out this appeal right? Because I, I kept saying, God will show me favor, you know? And if he doesn't, it's okay. So I fill out this appeal through the Harbor Patrol or whoever they were that gave me the ticket. And about four days later, they said, uh, we looked at the sign, we're going to void your ticket, right? And God removed it. Then I remember I tore my AC, right? You guys know that I tore the AC in my shoulder and dislocated my shoulder. And that was at the beach. And I was there with my daughter and I was getting out of my wetsuit and Sienna was there with me. And I said, Sienna, how does it look? She goes, dad, it doesn't look good. Your shoulder ain't right. And I said, okay. And it was hard to get out of my wetsuit. And I said, why would, and I had just been shopping for, I do worship with the youth group, play guitar. And we have practice every Wednesday night and we're practicing. I was about to buy a new guitar and I had been trying out guitars. I was like, why would God do this now? You know, and I think the practice was the next day. And, um, I'm like, why, Lord? Why did I tore my AC? Why couldn't I just land a different way? You know what my daughter said to me? She said, hey, you know what, Dad? Maybe you were going to break your neck that day, and God just made it your shoulder. It's a good thing. God's always looking out for us. He's always working. I said, amen, right? It's our perspective sometimes. Then I got COVID after that, right? So I got the ticket, torn AC, and then I got COVID. But guys, I'm grateful. So gracious for God's mercy even during that. But it's that eternal perspective that God loves us and he's doing things for good for us. Amen. He brought me through it, right? And there are those who have many more sufferings, right? Don't we think about them? Like, okay, I had COVID. But there were those during the holidays who were in the hospital, loved ones on ventilators because of COVID. Amen. Let's have compassion as Christians for people. So Daniel seems to have no worries at this point, And he trusts in God to take care of him. Point number two, you receive favor from others when you do right by others. And God gives us favor from others when we do right by God. Are we spiritually healthy enough to trust God with everything we have physically in this world? We will be tested and examined by men, but what I'm more concerned about is being examined by God in those testings, right? I want to pass those tests. Or God, or does God see trust in us, which produces peace in our trials, right guys? 
Let's not labor in our own power. Point number three. We must be willing to be afflicted with the righteous rather than compromise with the wicked. Verse 15 and 16. And at the end of 10 days, and at the end of 10 days, their features, Daniel and his friends, their features appeared better and fatter in the flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Okay? Again, what Babylon had to offer, what men would think would be better, right? To eat this because I'll turn out better. There's no way I can do that and turn out better. What Daniel was doing, Daniel did not eat, but the other young men ate. It sounded better just like sin, right? Doesn't sin sometimes sound better than doing what's right and doing what's righteous? Right? But it never is. But in the end, the world would put forward what Babylon put better was not better. What God put forward for Daniel to do was actually the better way, the better outcome. And again, like I just said before, it always is when we choose to do what God wants us to do. Amen? Daniel would rather have been afflicted with the righteous than compromise with the wicked. Hebrews eleven twenty five through 26 says this about Moses. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it is better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the great reward. Right, guys? That should be our concern. Again, I said this when I was teaching Job. We're so focused on the 70 years and being comfortable and getting everything right here. But what we miss sometimes, go past that 70 years, eternity eternity. That's what we should be focused on. And that's what it's saying there about Moses. He was looking forward to the great reward as we should. Daniel verse 17. As for these four young, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in literature and wisdom. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. <clears throat> Daniel and his friends went on to do three years of education and God blessed them with wisdom. They excelled in their education. Daniel is given divine spiritual revelation in dreams and visions, right? And that's why he earns the favor of Nebuchadnezzar in later chapters. Let's read verses 18 through 19. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. So after this three years of training, the king asked, Hey, bring in the best of the best, the best of the recruits. Bring me the best that you have after all this education. And the king says, None was found like them, if you notice. God set them apart from the other men. Because, why? Because they took a stand for God. They decided to be set apart for God, to devote their lives to God. So then God separated them. It says there's no one like our God. There is no one like our God in the Bible. Jeremiah 10.6 says this, No one is like you, Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power, right? There's no one like our God, no one. And you won't find it anywhere on earth. And you won't find it from any Anything other than the Bible, anything other than Jesus Christ, it's not God. He is the only God. Amen? Daniel, uh, let's read chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So Nebuchadnezzar makes a statement here that's not surprising to me now, okay? And where I'm at with my walk with the Lord, and maybe where you, it won't be surprising to you guys where you're at in your walk with the Lord. After having communion, I'm talking about myself, after having communion with Jesus for the last 18 years, right, I can understand that Nebuchadnezzar found them 10 times better than the other, Okay? 10 times better than all the world had to offer and Babylon had to offer. Because God, guys, is 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times better 
than what the world has to offer. The longer you are saved, the more you realize how true that really is. Isn't it? Isn't it what God has done in your lives and how good it is in the presence of God and how good it is in the favor of God? Guys, my life has been 70 times, seven times better with Christ. My relationship with my wife has been 70 times, seven times better with Christ. My relationship with my children has been better with Christ. My relationship with my parents, my mom and my dad has been better with Christ. My relationship with my coworkers has been better with Christ. My relationship with people has been better with Christ. Amen? How about you guys? Is your life without Christ now? Well, you know what? It's better with Christ. Amen? And those of you who have Christ, you can attest to that, right? And isn't it true the longer you walk with God and the more you read his Bible? And again, like I said earlier, right? The trustworthiness of the Bible is when you walk in his word and you see it come alive in your life and it changes your life and changes lives around you. You realize, right, that life is 70 times, seven times better with Christ, don't you? Amen. From about the age of 13 to 20 years old, I, I didn't like people. And, you know, and I, and I was a, I was a teenager who was very angry at the world. I was really into Jim Morrison and, you know, books that I probably shouldn't have been reading and worldly poetry. And I did not like people. I hated people. I used to think people had nothing really interesting to say. I, I used to think, oh, you guys are like, wait, you're on the pulpit at church. We're your God's people. But at that time, yeah, I didn't like people. They bothered me. They angered me. Things they would say. And you know what, guys? It was Jesus that changed that. When I, and I started to change when I got a little bit older. I started to listen a little bit more. But it was Christ. The love I have for you guys, every one of you who's here today, I love you guys. Pastor Dave loves you. Joshua loves you, right? The Lord loves you. And when we were to be imitators of Christ and more like Christ, I realized I had to love people, right? And then God showed it to me when they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. I realized that's why on our youth t-shirts, you see in our youth t-shirts, me and Josh decided, what's the first shirt we should get? Love God, love people, and everything else falls in line. Guys, I love people now, and Christ did that. Why? Because with Christ, life and people are 70 times, seven times better with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So point number three, we must be willing to be afflicted with the righteous rather than compromise with the wicked. Everything in our lives will be 70 times, seven times better with Christ than without him. Amen. Guys, it doesn't mean your life, right? We know as Christians, 70 times, seven times better. I'm not saying like, oh, if you come to Jesus, everything's going to be great, right? That would be foolish, right? Because Jesus says we'll suffer. He said we'll go through persecution for his sake, but during that persecution of the trials, like with Daniel, we can have that calm. And again, when God's looking at my life in that test, what is he going to see? I want him to see a man who trusts in God, a man who's willing to give his life for God. Many of you have come, you know, we're pastors. During this COVID, we're going to keep preaching the word because it's what I'm called to do. To be honest with you, am I concerned with my life? Sure. I want to make good decisions. I want to be cautious and I want to protect other people, right? This whole thing's going around. But at the same time, I'm called to preach the word and not forsake the gathering together. And I'm called to minister to people and I put my life in God's hands. Amen? Because I trust in him. And heaven truly is better, right? So like with Daniel, Daniel was probably thinking the same thing. I'm just going to trust in God during this time when I don't know what's going to happen. But I know God. I don't know what they're willing to do and what they're going to do. But I know my God and what he's willing to do and who he is. Amen? And we know that, so rest in that. So I titled this message, Are You Living a Christ-Purposed Life?